your brain might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back into our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now here is the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome everybody. Hey, we're gonna, today we're going to be talking about obsessive compulsive disorders, and there's more than one, and sadistic zip, zip pickers. Now I know you're wondering what a sadistic zip picker is, but if you know someone who cannot resist to pick someone else's zits, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. This most frequently happens in relationships, but uh, oftentimes it's friends, family, whoever they can get their hands on, they've got to just pop those zits. All right, we're going to talk about that a little bit later. But what is the breakdown? You know, obsessive compulsive disorder, or it's basically called OCD, just to make it easier, is made up of two different parts. There's number one is there's obsessions. And uh, then number two, there's compulsions. And obsessions are basically unwanted thoughts, like ideas or urges that are very distressing. And they seem very strange or they have to do with things you wouldn't normally think about doing. And you can't control obsessions. And they cause a lot of anxiety or bad feelings, especially if you don't have a chance to do them. You know, some common obsessions is, is uh, concerned, the most common actually, is the concern with cleanliness or infection, worries about dirt or germs or becoming ill. Uh, the other obsession is usually like bad things happening, someone attacking you, causing a fire or flood, having an accident, and a car accident, or something bad happening at work. Uh, the other thing is, is usually unwanted, bad, or inappropriate thoughts, you know, thoughts about sex or fear of killing yourself or uh, just really uh, other dangerous types of thinking. There's also, uh, the, another big one is, is usually concerns about a person's identity or their morality. You know, am I a good enough person? Am I doing something wrong? Uh, constantly questioning themselves. And so once again, the, you know, the obsessions, not once again, but obsessions are bred from insecurity. Uh, feeling like something is just not right or a need for things to be perfect or look a certain way or be in a certain order. Now, compulsions are things you keep doing to lessen the feelings of distress or to prevent something bad from happening. So the compulsions are the remedy to the obsessions. So they've decided that doing what this obsession is, is, is uh, a way to prevent the bad thinking. So um, what they do is these behaviors are basically uh, um, thought uh, based acts and they only work for a short time so they have to keep repeating these rituals over and over and over again to make sure that their life stays on track according to their obsession and so so for example if a child or, or a kid has obsessions about trying uh, get, getting very sick they might stay away from sick people and ask their parents again and again if they will be okay so the compulsions take up a lot of time and affect the way you live and now what what are these compulsions like well Here's some examples. Uh, staying away from things that are scary, like knives or public toilets or things that trigger an obsession. Repeated behaviors like hand washing, arranging items, checking, erasing, rewriting. Mental acts like telling yourself you'll be okay, counting uh, one, two, three, four, praying, praying constantly. 
causing others to act in certain ways, to, to keep telling you everything is okay or wash your hands or stay out of your room. And so children and kids with OCD may have trouble controlling their emotions and become very angry. And they may not see that their obsessions or compulsions are even unreasonable or causing them any type of problem. So, you know, how do you know if somebody is an OCD type of personality? Well, everybody has unwanted or unplanned thoughts at times. I mean, we may uh, wonder if the food has gone bad or think maybe I'll go jump off this bridge. Everybody has these weird fleeting thoughts. But lots of people also have peculiar ways in which they like to do things or feel things need to be done, like routines or superstitious habits. But people with OCD... They experience their obsessions and compulsions as a very distressing, and it's usually very interruptive or somewhat interruptive to their life. They, they really struggle to move on from their thoughts, their behaviors, their experiences, and they really have trouble enjoying life as a result. A lot of their life is about coping. So, you know, it interferes with things like socially, like they avoid friends. If it's getting in the way of their rituals, they'll quit sports. Uh, they feel rejected by peers. At school or at work, they, they usually want to stay home. They, they struggle to concentrate. And, and work takes much, much longer for them because of their obsessions getting in the way and the compulsions as the remedy. With family, there's usually fighting, stress, amount of time and money others try to spend to try to help this person who's obsessed on crazy things. And also, personally, uh, they feel down and sick of being distressed and not able to enjoy their hobbies. They know they got an issue, but they've pushed it away as something constructive and the only way to get through life. Now, there's usually what's called a dual diagnosis, and we'll talk about this later also. Um, Anxiety disorder is the most pervasive one that comes along with OCD. It's usually one of the triggers that pushes it to the farther extreme. Also, a depressive disorder of some type, even tick disorders, uh, especially with childhood onset like Tourette's and things like that, those often are a dual diagnosis that comes along with OCD. Also, uh, people that are ADHD or attention deficit hyperactive disorder, they often, often will fall into the OCD category simply because... Uh, That is their way of keeping themselves from being impulsive so they can be obsessive and compulsive, do something more constructive than what they would do if they're impulsive. So they're trying to prevent themselves from being themselves. And so that's the strange thing that happens as far as this dual diagnosis uh, marriage that happens with OCD. But that's not really what this show is about. Just giving you a view of OCD in itself. Uh, you know, but when OCD is treated, it can cause many challenges. And if, for example, children may stop socializing with friends or b- become less engaged in school because they don't know what to do because normally they're doing rituals. All adults also have problems with personal uh, and work relationships. Some adults with untreated OCD have trouble managing the demands of adult life on their own and rely more on their family uh, because of their fears. And their obsessions. So, so what can you do? You know, uh, there's lots of cognitive therapy out there that helps people with OCD. There's also uh, SRIs, which are, are serotonin reuptake inhibitors, which are very common uh, medication that is used for people with OCD. And uh, also, the, you know, you have to look at other disorders that are related to OCD. And that is what this show is about. 
the following disorders share a lot of characteristics and a lot of patterns with OCD, and they're seen as part of an obsessive compulsive range or what's called a spectrum of OCD. One of the biggest is uh, body dysphoric disorder, and this is an over-concern for a real or an imagined deficit or flaw in a person's appearance and a constant focus on it and trying to fix their appearance. And the child or the kid that might constantly compare their appearance to others or spend too much time looking in the mirror or grooming, some others cannot see the deficit or think it is a minor flaw. But a lot of these people spend their life in plastic surgery. Excoriation, skin picking disorder. And this is picking at the skin that causes an injury or a lesion. And in spite of repeated attempts to decrease or stop, they can't help themselves. They keep picking further until it becomes a major scar. These people will uh, uh, just keep picking at their skin and put, creating pockmarks and places and crevices and, and, and basically huge scars because they can't help but peel those scabs off and and play with those zits and dig, dig, dig. They'll, they'll even use tools like uh, tweezers and all kinds of things to get in there and push those blackheads out. They just can't help doing that. And God forbid if they have to do that to you. And God forbid if it's a parent of a child who's in their teen years who's going through puberty and has tons of acne. Also, then there's uh, hoarding disorder. And this is a serious problem. And it is about collecting or not getting rid of possessions regardless of their value. And so this kind of person is very upset with the idea of parting with their possessions. And that includes newspapers, magazines, all kinds of garbage that bring rats and all kinds of things into their home. Uh, food, uh, plastic, uh, you know, whatever the stuff you carry your food, your food from restaurants. You know, they will hoard everything because it has some kind of emotional attachment for them. And they eventually build a castle of hoarding around them to the point that basically nobody can get to them. There's also this huge other one that a lot of people uh, don't realize. But if you look on the Internet, you'll see quite a bit of it. And it's really kind of sad, too. And that's called trichotillomania, trichotillomania. And that's hair pulling disorder. And pulling out hair is basically what this is about, causing hair loss in spite of the repeated attempts to decrease or stop. Now, this isn't just your hair on your head. This is also eyebrows. This is also uh, mustache. This is also beards. Wherever you grow hair on your body, anywhere you grow it, they love to pluck that hair out. And so it is a very strong a pervasive issue that goes on with people with that particular disorder. And it is usually a great secret because a lot of them are really good at hiding it. And so, you know, we have to look at what happens when uh, a dual diagnosis is playing into one of these disorders. Well, once again, we'll break down what some of those are. But um, when two diagnoses occur, once again, it's called a dual diagnosis or a comorbid disorder. And, and according to the most large-scale community study of mental health in adults across the United States, 90% of adults who report OCD at some point in their lives also have at least another comorbid condition. And what are those conditions? Once again, we talked about anxiety disorders. Well, anxiety disorders may occur with OCD, and, and some of those include like separation anxiety disorder, and that's usually a disorder when somebody you are codependent on is no longer available to you, and all of a sudden you feel alone alone. 
it's called existential uh, loneliness, and, and that uh, existential gap in your life is very scary. There's also generalized anxiety disorder, and these people are just anxious all the time. So they've generalized it over their whole life as basically a philosophy that life is about fear. There's also panic attacks and panic disorder, and that is when you're, you're caught off guard because something happens. Well, people with OCD, if they don't do their rituals, they develop a lot of anxiety and panic because they didn't do what they were supposed to do to get through the day, and now they feel vulnerable. There's also social anxiety and specific phobias such as a fear of snakes or heights. All these disorders share features of excessive fear and anxiety as well as uh, related behavioral disturbances of avoiding or dealing with things in a certain way. So OCD is about dealing with things through a ritual that you can control so you can overcome what you can't control. All of this, all of these dual diagnoses we're going to talk about are fear-based. And that means their fear and their philosophy. Well, what's the contradiction of fear? The way to remedy fear is faith. I have faith. And that is a hard one for people with OCD. That's a hard one for people with anxiety because they don't understand what faith is all about. And faith is acting like you trust until you do trust. Major depressive disorder is another uh, comorbid uh, a dual diagnosis that comes along with OCD, and, and these may include a, a persistent sadness, an emptiness, a hopeless mood, a loss of interest, and usually things they love to do, such as sports or hobbies, sex, whatever. Uh, they usually have decreased energy, a lot of difficulty concentrating, insomnia, oversleeping, irritability, weight gain or loss, and thoughts of death or suicide. So these symptoms are usually presented for at least a two-week period and represent a huge change from previous functioning. And so a major depressive disorder, usually depressive depression and anxiety work together. I feel anxious, so I'm depressed, or I'm depressed because I'm anxious. That means you feel like you're out of control. And so that's a big thing uh, as far as coming along with OCD. These are big, big ingredients. Another one is bipolar disorders, and they are all about extreme changes in your moods, in your thoughts, in your behavior, in your energy. And so, you know, bipolar one is the big one, and it's characterized, basically a bipolar one person cannot hold a job. It's characterized by a present of what's called a manic episode, which is a really abnormal, elevated, irritable mood, increased energy lasting at least for a week. Oftentimes, they don't even sleep for the whole week. And then uh, there's bipolar 2. These people are somewhat functional, but they're wobbly. They don't quite go to a manic episode where they really act out crazy. They get hypomanic. So they have usually a, an elevated mood or energy that lasts for at least four consecutive days. And it's not usually severe enough to cause a huge impairment in functioning, but it also has to include a major depressive episode. So bipolar disorders are a little bit more prevalent as far as being able to see them than uh, major depressive disorders. Now, the other, once again, we mentioned is the attention deficit hyperactive disorder, ADHD. And there's three types of ADHD, so a lot of people don't understand this. There's the inattentive. That means that person's not hyper. 
They're hyper on their in the inside. They just can't pay attention. They're not hyper on the outside, so they're not moving around going and doing crazy stuff. They're basically not able to pay attention. And so they're kind of sitting there, and you're looking at them and going, that's a normal kid. But it's not a normal kid because they can't function. They don't, they don't, they don't have the ability to concentrate. Once again, these features can carry themselves into adult life. Now, there's also the other one is on the other spectrum, which is a predominantly hyperactive and impulsive presentation. And then, God forbid, you have one that's both. And that means they can't concentrate and they're hyper. That is a crazy, crazy, crazy type of kid that you have to raise. But the good news is by the age of 12 um, is usually when the symptomology tends to uh, go down. Now, the thing about ADHD that a lot of people don't understand it has to go in more than one environment. It has to have two or more settings, so home, school, work, whatever, but it needs to be at different locations. And so that's the huge thing about ADHD, but that is another comorbid common dual diagnosis that runs alongside of all these OCD type of behaviors that we're going to be talking about. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We're going to come back, and we're going to go into body dysphoric disorder and sadistic Skin Pickers. Come back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Inspired, encouraged, and connected on our lively, award-winning, healthy living power hour, Star Style. Be the star you are with host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan. Live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Tune in to the Power Party for positive, uplifting, life-changing talk radio. Visit StarStyleRadio.com. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. We all have the inner ability to use the gifts within ourselves to serve ourselves, our families, loved ones, and our communities. Once you have discovered these gifts and talents, you can promote harmony, peace, and hope. To find out how to harness your own gifts and talents, tune in to Get Ready. 
Get ready for your breakthrough with host Felicia A. Hill, live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Listen and share with others. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. Okay, we're going to be talking, we're talking about uh, obsessive compulsive disorders, not the disorder obsessive compulsive. We've been covering a little bit of that just to get an idea what the flavor is for it. And then we're going to be talking about sadistic zit pickers. All right, now. Body dysphoric disorder, it's called BDD, and, and, and to make it easier, and it's become a, a focus of a lot of media attention, particularly in relation it, it, to being cited as one of the main reasons why people seek out cosmetic surgery, uh, and, and as well as being uh, implicated in a wide variety of medical or psychiatric conditions, including, and this, these are interesting, eating disorders, obviously obsessive compulsive disorders, and strangely, um, the, and, and I may stumble over this, but aptomenophilia, which is a desire to be an amputee. Uh, and then believe it or not, there are people out there that have a desire to be an amputee because they hate a part of their body so bad that they want it gone. You know, in the simplest uh, thought process, it, body dysphoric disorder is hugely distressing and handicapping, and it it really impairs preoccupation uh, with, with imagined or slight uh, deficit in a person's body appearance, at least in their eyes, and the sufferer perceives to be ugly, unattractive, deformed, and, and so they have a, a, a huge upsurge in the intent or desire to change it. And so these sufferers of body dysphoric disorder think about their perceived uh, deficit for hours and hours every day. Other sufferers in, have a, a minor physical abnormality, but the concern attached to it is regarded as grossly excessive. And so there are hundreds of papers and research out there on body dysphoric disorder, but most of, of what we're going to be talking about is, is uh, just looking at what BDD is all about and how did it arrive and what can we do about it. People with uh, body dysphoric have have been written about for more than 100 years and there's been a large increase in research to it over the last two decades because it's 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 worse than pathological gambling these people spend thousands and thousands of dollars trying to get rid of the problem that they perceive with their body and it's and and it's not until recent that it used to be called uh dysmorphophobia and then it, it, there never was a diagnosis, uh, any specific diagnosis in the DSM-3, and that's way back in the 70s. It wasn't until the 80s that it hit with that particular term, and then it became body dysphoric disorder. But the huge problem is, is, is that there is a, a distinction between delusion and non-delusion with, with body dysphoric and, and so the biggest deal is the delusion, the, the, the um, non-delusion, 
is the idea that there is an issue. There may be a slight issue. Yes, you may have love handles. Yes, you may have a, a, a protruding belly. Yes, you may have a mole on your nose. Yes, you may have something that doesn't look quite right or eyes that are not quite the same or whatever, you know, whatever that is. But these folks, they magnify it and they become obsessed and compulsed with the idea that they have this and they see the world through a distorted view of themselves with that in a very magnified way. Um, I don't know. I remember when I was, uh, you know, when you look at uh, people that are, are bald or people that, that uh, you know, have a, a, a little bit of baldness, oftentimes people will look at that before they look them in the eye. They look up and then they look down. Well, that's kind of what happens sometimes with body dysphoric. People will look at your flaws first and then they look at you. Well, they feel that's a prejudice. They feel sad about that. They hate that because they want them to just look at them as who they are. But the problem is they don't see themselves as who they are. They see themselves through that same issue, but they've magnified it 10 times. So they've magnified it to the extent that it's 10 times worse than what the person that sees it sees it as. And they judge themselves based on that because they feel like nobody will ever know who they are unless they correct the problem. And so these folks suffer with a lot of uh, uh, social phobia, a lot of depression, a lot of suicidal ideation, and they have a lot of obsessive compulsive disorder. In, in fact, almost all body dysphoric sufferers engage in at least one compulsive behavior, such as a compulsive checking of mirrors, excess grooming, making up um, you know, makeup application, excessive exercise, repeatedly asking other people how they look. Uh, compulsive buying of beauty products, uh, clothes that that you know may make them look better, and so these behaviors become potentially all-encompassing and consuming, and like many addictive behaviors, become unpleasurable and typically difficult to control or resist because all those things are is trying to put in their mind lipstick on a pig. It's basically trying to cover up the problem rather than deal with the problem. And they're overwhelmed by it because they feel like it can never change. And they also have uh, preoccupation with other other deficits, uh, one or more perceived deficits or flaws in their physical appearance. So once that, they may get a plastic surgery and correct one thing, then they start picking on another thing and then they go to another and and it's an endless endless battle where they're never completely happy with how they look and it's become a basic philosophy in their life and so you know the biggest thing is the delusion that affects them is the 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 huge negative perspective they have of themselves and those negative thoughts that make up who they are and you know at some point during the course of the disorder the person usually has performed repetitive behaviors like the mirror checking, the SX grooming, skin picking, reassurance seeking, or also mental acts like comparing their appearance to others. And so they're always envious of other people who don't have the same problem as they do. And it, this causes a lot of distress, a lot of impairment, a lot of social, occupational, other areas that it totally becomes the biggest barrier in their life. And the appearance preoccupation is is usually, for, to, to qualify for this disorder, is not better explained by concerns with body fat or weight in an individual whose cyst symptoms uh, qualify for a eating disorder. It's not like that. It is, uh, it is about their shape. It is about never being happy with their body as it is. They may cope with it 
and do eating disorders and bulimia and, and, and all that kind of stuff, but they, they generally are just perpetually unhappy with how they appear. You know, there's been a lot of studies that report the prevalence of, of body dysphoric as usually about 0.7% in our general population. And, uh, you know, it, it's also uh, prevalent with adolescents and young adults big time. They tend to be a little higher. They tend to be among groups that are significantly higher. For instance, the higher prevalence rates of body dysphoria have been reported among people wanting plastic surgery, which is 5% of our population. Dermatology patients are 12% of our population. So to the risk factors involved with this kind of person once again, is is peer relationships. They they the persons that are related to them and like them are just sick of dealing with the fact that they're so insecure about their body that they just can't accept it. So they socially isolate, and so they're very hard to deal with. They don't accept compliments. They make it hard for a person to have fun with because they're so obsessed with their stuff. Um, a lot of people uh, with uh, body dysphoric disorder also uh, are resentful because they were a victim of some type of molestation or, or sexual abuse in childhood that caused them to overeat and so, so they could make themselves not sexy. And then when they move themselves into adult life, they hate what they see and they're constantly looking at that and blaming the sexual abuse as the problem because the sexual abuse caused them to defend themselves in the only way they knew how, which was to become uglier so that they would not be an object of someone's attention. And so there's a lot of also uh, genetic uh, predispositions to body dysphoric disorder. There's shyness, uh, which is a genetic thing. There's, there's perfectionism or anxious temperament that has some genetic components. There's also uh, childhood adversity, which is teasing or bullying about the appearance. And so these people get more and more engaged in that. And that, that is oftentimes the case where these kids were just bullied because they had a flaw. And, of course, kids are cruel. There's also, you know, people with a history of, of dermatological or other uh, adolescent acne uh, that has been resolved but there's a lot of scarring that took place from that and now they, they can't help but stare at it all the time and obsess with that because they hate themselves for what they did to themselves. Um, they also um, try to divert uh, people by uh, they oftentimes will throw themselves into education or training and art or design or something creative so they can have something what people, even if it doesn't match who they are, they can have some skill that people will look at that rather than who they see themselves as. And so there's a lot of, of uh, these people coping with life rather than living and enjoying a full life. And what is peace? Peace is acceptance. And that is you begin where you begin and that is where you are, not where you want to be. And, and so there's a lot of similarities between genders. Uh, there are some gender differences with body dysphoric. For instance, men with, with body dysphoric show a greater preoccupation with their genitals. And women with body dysphoric are more likely to have a, a comorbid eating disorder. But also, once again, they also usually have some other comorbid disorder like depression, anxiety. Uh, bipolar also. There's also a lot of similarities Um with uh, uh, predictably where female sufferers have a greater preoccupation with weight, with hips, with breasts, with legs, with excessive body hair. They're also more likely 
than the males with body dysphoric to conceal their perceived deficits with makeup or or checking mirrors, picking at their skin. Now, the males uh, usually have a greater preoccupation with their muscle dysphoria and, and thinning hair compared to females. So they're more likely to be single and have a substance-related disorder, and that's the males. All right, now we're going to talk about those sadistic zit pickers. Do you know, have any of those in your life? Have you ever met them before? Because if you have, you know exactly what I'm talking about. What's the diagnosis? It's called excoriation, or it's also another uh, urban term is called acnephilia. So this is another body-focused repetitive behavior, and everyone pulls off the, you know, the odd bit of, of skin or squeezes a, a pimple, but for some people, the squeezing, the scratching, or picking becomes an abs- absolutely monstrous compulsive behavior that threatens to take over their lives, and concealing uh, what they're doing and its impact can trigger a whole lot of attempts to camouflage and they avoid activities and relationships because they don't want to see people what have, have people see what they've done to themselves. Pickers and scratchers range from very emotionally troubled people to quite healthy people and successful people. Picking problems that that look the same from the outside can be very different on the inside. So treatment needs to be very carefully individualized. And there's a lot of simple formulas and stock programs that are usually not enough. The treatment approach has to be matched to both what is fueling the picking and the individual's personal uh, uh, way of thinking. So many different paths can lead to the picking problem, and any area may be the target. So, you know, usually some of these folks use tweezers or nail files, produce deep, permanent scars. Many people describe looking for, uh, that they're looking for self-soothing. And it, they're, usually when they're picking, they're in a trance. And it's like a daze when they pick, and, and they get a lot of, of dopamine and satisfaction from that process of trying to pop that zit or whatever that scab is. Some people do this uh, most of their picking when they're bored or they're reading or they're watching a movie. And so there's usually a little going on when they're doing this. And, and for others, it's when stress ratchets up, so, so their picking starts. And, and then there's another group that is well-intentioned, and they attempt to smooth out or improve an area's skin, which c- quickly turns destructive when it combines with a relentless perfectionism to, to try to get it perfect. Then there's the guilt and shame that is compounded on the problem. And so not seeing their problem as a serious real disorder, a lot of these folks deny themselves treatment. And picking can become a major focus of life and it can seriously erode relationships because once again, it is obsessive and compulsive. It is a disorder. And there are obsessive compulsive personalities and then there's obsessive compulsive disorder. Obsessive compulsive personalities have a tendency to do it across a whole broad spectrum of fears and and obsessions, whereas an obsessive compulsive disorder may just have to do with an isolated uh, the zit picking, uh, the excoriation, the body dysphoric, it may just leave itself right in one area. So not, you know, these people don't see their problem as serious. And there's a cycle of anxiety and arousal from the act. And there's a sense of relief after. 
So there's a physical release of pressure. Some of these people will cheer themselves like, "Ooh, I did it. That's the best that I ever picked. I mean, they go nuts. With, and then they have a sense of calm and pleasure, like they've con- conquered something. And then they look themselves in the mirror and go, I'm bleeding and it's not stopping. You know, some people go beyond the occasional pop and, and they develop this habit. And so there's a spectrum of behavior that ranges from normal urges to pick the uh, to disorders. And, you know, um, this skin picking disorder is interfering with your daily life is usually when it is a pervasive thing. Now, sadistic zip pickers begin with themselves, and what they do is they transfer those thought processes onto usually someone they have an intimate relationship or someone they have a fairly close relationship with, and they feel really good about picking their zits because now they're not picking themselves, and they think they're doing that person a favor, and all that person wants to do is run for the hills. So often, you know, compulsive behavior or a lack of impulse control is, is the biggest blame. And, and people with impulsive control problems, they might have a, 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 a prefrontal cortex issue, which serves as the brakes for the brain. And if your prefrontal cortex is slow to react, then your brain has a harder time resisting impulses. And so uh, some of these folks, especially maybe the ADHD types, where they're impulsive, they don't have that 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 block to stop their behavior in the prefrontal cortex their impulsivity is too strong so most of the time the act is pleasurable and it's hard to stop and if you know if popping feels good and you're seeing results why wouldn't you stop you know so the people who feel that the uh, guilty are the ones who think the behavior is abnormal and they oftentimes are the only ones that come in for treatment but these zip picker type of people, they're sneaky. They'll sneak their hand up the back of your shirt. They'll 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 fine tune their nails and roam across your skin until they find something, whether it's a small black head or, or a big swollen pimple. The results the same. They know where the sweet sauce are. They're going to do a full investigation, and what they do is they try to woo you to them so they can reach in and do whatever they think like giving you a massage or some way of touching and then they'll find a way they're like oh i got my 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 uh piece of gold and they're ready to go and and they cannot help themselves and you know it and you are now hunted and they are the they are the predator and you are the hunted and so we're going to talk more about this and then we're going to move on into trickle trillo mania and uh, other stuff come back Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. We all experience grief and loss. It's not something most people like to talk about, but these topics do need to be discussed. On Let's Talk About Grief, 
Host Addie Anderson speaks to both professionals and individuals about grief, death, and personal loss. You'll hear the important topics, the personal and professional outlooks, and learn how to prepare yourself and loved ones when the need arises. Listen Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific, on Voice America Empowerment. Where can you listen to some of the world's top life coaches ready to dish out success tips and entrepreneurial guidance? The Voice America Empowerment Channel will do just that. Whether it's personal growth, building a better business, or inspirational life stories, make it a daily habit to tune into our programs. From weight loss and personal branding to law of attraction and increased happiness, you'll find it every day at VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. We all have the inner ability to use the gifts within ourselves to serve ourselves, our families, loved ones, and our communities. Once you have discovered these gifts and talents, you can promote harmony, peace, and hope. To find out how to harness your own gifts and talents, tune in to Get Ready. Get ready for your breakthrough with host Felicia A. Hill, live every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Listen and share with others. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. Okay, we're talking about obsessive-compulsive disorders and sadistic zip pickers. All right, now, sadistic zip pickers is where we're at. And I got to tell you, you know, if you're in a relationship of any kind and you know that it's the normal days going by and then they happen to spot a zit on you, all of a sudden... True love comes out in them and they start to woo you because they want to get to that zip because they know you're going to push them away. They know you hate it and they know you're going to be defensive. And so they're trying to trick you into believing how much that they're just legitimately loving you and all of a sudden they focus on the zit. It's such a um, disappointment <laughs> for many people because they get more love uh, from having a zit than they do from being in a, in a relationship. <laughs> so, um, as strange as it sounds, it's sort of a amateur uh, dermatology that happens, especially among couples. For many people, there's a wonderful satisfaction that comes from popping a pimple. It's 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 euphoric for some people. As a matter of fact, people obsess on these 
on 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 YouTube. They just love to watch this. As a matter of fact, there's even toys or little gadgets that you can pick that that become zits, and all you have to do is try to pick the zits on the toy, and then it'll it'll pop. And and sometimes that may be enough to give them the satisfaction rather than hurting you. You know, maybe that's something you should get them for the holidays. But uh, you know, they only relieve that physical pressure of the blockage, and and there's a plen- uh, a really pleasant effect when they release that that uh, popping is like a release of dopamine, which is basically the brain's happy chemical. And you know why the feeling of physical release is, is almost immediate when popping your pimples, you can get a similar emotional experience from lancing other people's zits. And that's the problem. It's a vicarious thrill that helps explain the bizarre popularity of online pimple popping videos. As a matter of fact, there is a California dermatologist named uh, Dr. Sandra Lee, and she's AKA Dr. Pimple Popper, and that she has a massive 3 million strong YouTube following. And, and so you, you, it's not always just about feeling good. There are many possible motivations that compel a person to start uh, surface mining the skin of the person next to them. Uh, in some ways, they believe it's a sign of love. And, and there are more romantic ways to show your affection, by the way. But, but uh, you know, there, this is someone who's not willing to attend to uh, your sores, but they volunteer to do so. So they take a whole other level of comfort and commitment by popping those zits and as disgusting as it might sound to some people you, you know that you would pick your partner's pimples that that does show a sense of closeness however but or some type of bond or an attachment but uh, if someone is on a, a first or second date I don't think you're going to want the pimple popping and people that pop pimples unfortunately don't respect the person that's saying no please don't do that um, a lot of times they will find a way to do it by trying to convince you that they're doing a, 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 a something good for you. They will find a million ways to try to get you to let them pop that zit. You know, for many, the skin itself can be a metaphor for the person or the relationship. So the pimple represents an irritation or an imperfection. So the thing that somehow um, that you think you need to get cleaned up or organized or otherwise taken care of, it's kind of analogous to find a solution. So they f- transfer that to popping of the zit. So popping of the zit is a way that they, they can have an analogy of solving a situation of irritation or imperfection in a different area of life. So if they're irritated with you as a husband or a wife, uh, what they may find is that popping your zit is a way to try to resolve that other issue. It also can simply mean that it's the person's stressed out and that when people are feeling stressed or anxious over issues beyond their control, they may seek to regain a sense of control in another way. And so what they do, and, you know, if, uh, you know, you know, children get bullied at schools. Oftentimes, we'll have serious skin picking problems because of the desire to self-soothe and take control of their own bodies because they don't feel like they're in control. So when we feel like we have, uh, you know, basically what's called extensive control, we can find relief from whatever we're experiencing. So if your spouse is at their wits end with the kids or the boss, they may find therapeutic to take it out on your acne instead of them. And and also partners who routinely pick at their, their partner's skin uh, may try to, to justify their actions by suggesting some other motive like helping improve com- uh, your co- your uh, complexion or that it's not usually the full story. But if, if one partner is 
constantly doing it, well, it's probably not a help to the other partner. It has more to do with the person that's picking than the person that's being picked on. You know, the key to better understanding is feedback. If the partner's feedback is, yeah, this is good, I want more of this, that's great. But if the partner's feedback is a little more hesitant, I don't know how much I like this, and yet the other partner is still going for it, it's not healthy. And they need to have respect that there's a boundary. I know it's a need and an urge, but it's inappropriate. And so the person needs to stand up for themselves and say, hey, don't, you know, this is not my thing. This is your thing. Let's find a different way for you to deal with this. And and, uh, it is usually... In truth, it's not a deal breaker for most couples, especially in committed relationships, but it is a contribution to developing a boundary between two people, especially if it's unwanted behavior. So, you know, there's no easy cure for it, though. And if you're outspoken of your opposition, your partner may have trouble resisting the compulsion and altering the behavior once it's ingrained usually requires a form of uh, cognitive, what's called cognitive restructuring, and that's essentially a reprogramming of themselves to behave differently over time, and that may include therapy. You know, perhaps there's another uh, solution like like watching the YouTubes and getting satisfaction from other people popping zits, and uh, that might help satisfy that urge, or getting a little toy. And uh, it, some people pick less when they watch videos, so that that's a good thing. But there's no simple way to, to stand between the target of our partner's pimple-popping obsessions. It's something that the partner, that person that's doing it, really needs to take uh, responsibility for. All right, now let's talk about hair pulling, trichotillomania, and uh, TTM. It's, it's a condition that's characterized by compulsive, mild to severe hair pulling from anywhere in the body. And it's an impulse control disorder. And so one of the uh, several body-focused repetitive behaviors that is currently a part of uh, obsessive-compulsive related disorders, and that's trichotillomania. And it's about 2% of our population. Only about half of those affected uh, receive some course form of uh, treatment. But the biggest symptom is that it usually appears somewhere between uh, 10 to 13 years old. And the primary symptom is just an urge to pull hair from the scalp, from the eyebrows, from the eyelashes, pubic hairs, other areas of the body. And the behavior is compulsive and results in a significant hair loss that can lead to to, uh, bald spots of the scalp. Or uh, or a little uh, or just a complete deterioration of uh, the uh, the hair, and so the individuals with it usually suffer from feelings of distress, of shame, of anxiety, of embarrassment about their condition. They often avoid developing close relationships and attending to group activities. Once again, and then they usually use scarves or wigs or alternative hairstyles. Makeup is often used to cover up the areas of the body with noticeable hair loss. And so, you know, if you look at this, um, there's treatments that can help, but it has to be something that they recognize it as a problem. And, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy, which is a talk and behavioral therapy, is a really good form of trying to trick or to trying to treat trichotrillomania. And um, this tugging and pulling at your hair serves as a basic self-soothing function, especially during episodes of stress. And so, you know, don't put yourself down for having the compulsion. You're not responsible for it, but the compulsion has a biological origin and most people do behave impulsively in some areas of their life. 
And, and so, you know, keeping a record of your, your, your pulling habits may be able to be a way to understand that it, 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 when it's happening and why it's happening and what the triggers are. So keeping a, a journal of some type might be a way to get yourself to be aware of the triggers and the frustration and the worries and the habit of plucking plus collecting information. But, uh, you know, the biggest thing is if you can identify the triggers, you can help yourself. Now, let's talk about hoarders. These guys have cluttered living spaces. They have an inability to discard items. They keep stacks of newspapers. They move items from one pile without discarding anything. They have difficulty managing daily activities. They procrastinate. They have trouble making decisions. Oftentimes, it's depression. They also have, an, surprisingly, perfectionism, an excessive attachment to possessions, and they have limited or no social interactions. And, and you know, from a neurological perspective, there's been a lot of research that the insular cortex is a section of the brain that sits alongside of the head, and it's folded deeply within one of the organ's uh, surface wrinkles, and the anterior um, cingulate cortex is deep in front of the brain. So making decisions about their own junk sent to these areas to overdrive in the hoarder's brain. But when the hoarders made decisions about someone else's stuff, the same brain regions were usually quiet. So these folks have a strong uh, brain stem, emotional uh, fight or flight attachment to a lot of the things that they become attached to. So what causes it? Well, um, usually hoarding is middle-aged adults around the age of 50, and they begin around 11 to 15 and uh, during the teenage years, and it's broken toys, outdated school papers, pencils, usually their personality, they struggle with severe indecisiveness and anxiety. They're genetically, you know, it's not entirely a genetic disorder, but it has a predisposition. A lot of these guys have trauma, a stressful event, a traumatic event that propels them into hoarding as a coping mechanism. And usually social isolation is a big part of their lives. And and so, you know, it's a decision-making process where they have trouble making decisions. That's number one, the big symptomology that drives hoarding. And it's been linked. So so that means they're making a lot of emotionally attached decisions rather than logical uh, uh, decisions. So how do you help people with this? Well, you know, while it's, you have to be there for them, number one, you have to help them recognize that they are socially isolated. That means you have to work from empathy. You have to em- uh, emphasize that you, you know, to you, hoarding is just one aspect of who they are. It's not their entire identity and that it is something that can be solved. And, uh, and you know, if they were beginning to understand that they need to declutter, you want to encourage them to identify just one small area of the home to clear first. And that could be a box, a drawer, or just a particular room. And then you begin from there. And then you allow them to feel control by praising them and understanding the, the decluttering process, how it's helped them, and, and, and continue to give them that positive feedback. And eventually, you can possibly build on that by, you know, encourage help seeking, encourage someone to reach out. Uh, to get help and to also uh, get help to clean up because the problem is so overwhelming that a lot of times they don't have the ability. Number one, obsessive compulsive disorder, depression, anxiety, all of these pos- these disorders are thought-based. They have a lot of thought-based problems to them and they can be treated with therapy. And that is what you need to remember when you're trying to help someone with these disorders, that they are generally 
thought-based habitual disorders that can be resolved. Okay, we're going to go into uh, next week. That's our show. And uh, next week, we're going to be talking about adjustment disorders and how people adjust and have difficulty adjusting to new changes in their life and talk about where that comes from and how they can solve that. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. I'd love to hear from you, drgbmft at sbcglobal.net or my website, drgbmft.com. You know, I'm currently scheduling speaking and teaching engagements, conducting coaching for marriage, pre-marriage individuals in person over Skype. So you can please contact me if you'd like to book a time, www.drgbmft.com. Now remember, if you're fat, don't sugarcoat it because you'll eat that too. Now coffee, you know, what makes coffee... Now, remember this. What makes coffee so good is because it gives you the illusion that you're awake. Thanks for listening. That's our show for this week. Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time, 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. 